we're going to be talking about Here Comes the Night in Depth, and I bet there's going to be some squeeze, right, Annie? <laughs> that was purely in a four-effect squee. I can do squeeze on demand. <laughs> Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 91. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. We are discussing Here Comes the Night, but I wanted to say, first of all, that I experienced some technical difficulties and the recording that I made of myself was wonky. It just sounded totally bad. So I'm having to rely on the recording made in our Google Hangouts call, which we use to hear each other in order to, to talk because we live in different places. And the the audio quality there for, for my side of the conversation is not very good. I apologize. But this way I could go ahead and get the episode out to you because it's a pretty funny episode. And if we had to record it, re-record it, that is, it would have lost some of that humor. So I apologize again for the poor quality. Bear with me this week. I'm still understandable, hopefully. First, let's start, though, with a couple of voice messages from two listeners. Thank you to both Elizabeth and to my friend Elizabeth, I should say, and to Melina, who called in and left us voice messages. We always love to hear from listeners, other viewers of the show. We will include contact information about how you can send us those thoughts that we can include in these long discussions at the end of this episode. Hey, so I basically just finished watching the latest episode and my heart was filled with so many feelings. I understand that Valkybus shippers are upset and because they love their ship and everyone has their ship. You know, I'm still upset about Kenzie and Hale. But personally, I just feel like it was always going to be Lauren. From Tamsin's point of view, like even though I like Tamsin more than I did when she first came on, I find some of her reactions to Bo immature. I mean, she's like 10 times older than Bo combining all her lifetimes. And yet she has these very juvenile ways of talking to Bo and their relationship. And it's like, I know she was just reborn, but the way she talks about Bo and idealizes Bo, she doesn't seem to see her as quite as a person, but as kind of like perfect idealized mate. That's like how you said, like she thought that she had met the one. And like, I understand that's supposed to be like a romantic ideal, but it also feels like she loves Bo for what, Bo may represent in who she is. And I think that's kind of the problem I have. But in plot news, I think my theory might be right. I'm so excited. When she talked about the candle, I was like, I said that. I said that. I was really excited. But yeah, I'm so happy about Docubus. I love Lauren. I want Lauren to be happy. And so far, this part of the season has been seeming really strong. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying the episodes. The only thing that left me sort of like, uh, was, why was Mark the one that Vex was interested in? I mean, how much better would that scene have been if it had been Dyson? Like, Vex has been harboring this deep longing for Dyson. I mean, that'd be great. I mean, they're already trying to give Dyson all these boring family members and love interests that he can have some relevance. Let him be with Vex. I think we could all enjoy that more. Anyway, have a great night. This is Melina, and take care. Hi, this is Stephanie's friend, Elizabeth. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the real and the true and what the heart wants in Here Comes the Night, Episode 7. 
this whole show from the very beginning says that it's about choice, living the life that we choose. And I think it's done a great job of doing that. But here we see something coming up against that sort of free will idea that is the heart actually dictating to us what it is that we want, that we're uh, the oracles can tell us something that we don't quite know about ourselves. Um, so for Bo, that beautiful job of sh- of shifting Dyson into Lauren. I, it was weird that they couldn't show them at the same time, but there you go. Trick, always true to Isabeau. Dyson, clearly with his eyes on Bo. And then Vex with Mark. Now, there was I, I, with Stephanie, really enjoyed the scene, but I wonder the heart can tell Vex something that he doesn't know about himself, or if this is just something that he knows about himself that he hasn't been able to really feel until now. It's a dangerous idea in a way, because it means that we don't really have choice uh, in the way that I would hope. But nonetheless, it's a fun idea. And we are discussing the seventh episode of season five of Lost Girl, entitled Here Comes the Night's which is a reference I learned since we recorded our shot episode to a song recorded by several people, potentially most famously by Van Morrison, but also David Bowie. Does it have anything to do with tornadoes? Does the song have anything to do with tornadoes? No. It is. (laughs) The lyrics are about a man looking out of his window and seeing a woman that he loved and he used to date walking by with somebody else. Oh, so appropriate for this, for this episode but kind of kind of sad. So since we we are getting off on a on a music note, can, is it okay if we go ahead and talk about the music in this episode? Music note. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> oh, but first, sorry. First of all, I needed to mention the the drink special for this episode, which uh, we ended up going with after a lot of searching. Thank you, Chris, for this recommendation. A drink called Blackout, made with thin <laughs> blackberry brandy, lime juice, and simple syrup. And I really wish that we hadn't used the drink called Kiss in the Dark before now, but we've used it in an episode in season in uh, season four. I forget which episode. I think it was episode six. And so I, I was bummed that we couldn't use it for this one because there was a lot of smooching going on in the dark. Plus more. As Annie demands that they turn on more lights. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see well, I don't well know how enough. many times I was, I was... You don't know how many times I listened to myself giggling. The document sex is too blue. It's too dark. <laughs> so talking about the, the music in this episode, I, I mentioned in our shot episode, it was an aspect that I really, really loved about the episode. And I talked about Tell It Like It Is Like by Aaron Neville, which I think has some some interesting lyrics to maybe parse. Of course, this this episode is all about telling truth. So a song called tell it like it is, is, is appropriate, of course, for, for this episode. Uh, but I was wondering if y'all thought the, the lyrics might be one character kind of talking to another, in this case, perhaps Lauren's message to Bo, or maybe vice versa. This, the, you know, there's there's a verse that says, or I think it's uh, the, the chorus that says, tell it like it is, don't be ashamed to let your conscience be your guide. But I know deep down inside me, I believe you love me, forget your foolish pride. And it's talking in the, in the choruses about I'm nothing to play with. Go and find yourself a toy. But essentially, but I know that you you love me. So do do y'all think that could maybe be supposed to be Lauren talking to Bo or the other way around? Well, listening to it for the 435th time this week, uh, yeah, that's how I interpreted it. 
I think it kind of works both ways, don't you? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it could. Because we've been talking about that this over the course of the season. I, I've seen lots of discussion of like who is it that's sort of keeping who at arm's length because they're kind of both doing it right at various True. points. I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm so confused about the Bow Lord situation this season, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But I'm just happy they had sex. Really. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that. Otherwise, I never would have known. I no, know. Thank you. no, you've been so coy about your feelings. So that was that was that song. I and, and it, I didn't really think it was perhaps a message from Lauren to Bo because I feel like of the, between the two of them, Bo has been the one who's been the most wishy washy. But at the same yeah. time, I, I know that Lauren got reserved and drew back in season four, so perhaps it, it works from either of them. True. And then the other one, the other song that I wanted to talk about was the song by Yuna called Lullabies, which plays twice in this in this episode. And I thought they used it really cleverly because I didn't realize it was the same song until later because they use a piece of it when Tamsin walks into the lab and, and sees Bo and Lauren having sex. And then they use a different piece of it later on where we see Bo and Lauren chatting after after having had sex. And I feel like those two pieces have a very different feeling to them, and yet they're from the same song. Did y'all recognize it was the same song when you first watched the episode? Maybe not till later, but when I listened to the lyrics, I thought it was very appropriate for Bo and Lauren. Really? So, I don't know, because it talks about, you know, at least for the romantic in me, about how you were my first love, and about wanting to go away and you know, run away with you and things like that. Bo says, I wish we could stay here forever and kind of avoid their troubles, but live in the moment. I don't know. I thought it was really appropriate for them. See, I think it's it's actually really inappropriate for them. I think it's super appropriate for Tamsin. Because mm. the, the first piece of the song that they use is more melancholy. And mm. it, the lyrics there are, I wanted to go away with you and I will leave all my troubles behind. I wanted to run away with you. And then if you, you listen to the the chorus, she she's talking about somebody that she loved who didn't love her back. Because hmm. she says, like lullabies you are forever in my mind. I see you in all the pieces of my life, though you weren't mine. You were my first love. That actually, I feel like, really applies to Tamsin. And I was kind of surprised that they used it over the Bo and Lauren scene. This idea that you were the first person that I loved, but you didn't love me back. Well, I think they've certainly had their times where they... You know, they've had their rough moments where they weren't sure if they loved each other. So, or their obstacles between being human and fae. But I think what's interesting, too, is they actually talk in the episode about Dyson being Bo's first choice, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Or choosing him first, not being his first, not being her first choice, but that she chose him first, rather. Chronologically, not hierarchically. (laughs) Right, that is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I just, I wanted to mention those two songs in particular because I thought they were, I really liked them and I thought they were interesting choices and, and well used in some places. Though again, I find, I found it kind of an odd choice for the Bo Lauren afterward scene. I don't know. I really loved it. If it works for you, Annie, that's great. I, I, I've seen a lot of people latching onto that lyric, you know, you were my first love and being like, oh, Docubus, but I haven't seen them include the though you weren't mine part. And, well, and you I feel like, that oh, part as well. that's not entirely true. You can't hear that part as well. Like in the episode, the part that you can hear most clearly is You Were My First Love. Diving into the episode itself, now that we've chatted about the music somewhat, 
I gotta say, I really, even though it was dark and green and difficult to see, I really liked that the way that the first scene was shot where Dyson and Bo were going over all of the rubble. Yes. I, I like that still can't see anything in that scene. It's, I think the filter was overused. If they cranked it back a bit so I could actually see it a little bit more. You know, again, I get the point. And you were mentioning about how Sky looks after Storm, Stephanie, but I just... It was a little too much filter for me. But it was a great scene. I do agree with you, Annie. It was kind of interesting rewatching it because I was really paying attention to the way things looked since we talked about it last time. The thing about filming day for night, and I mean, it wasn't supposed to be night, but it was post-storm, so it was supposed to be dark, obviously. But the thing about it is, there's that noticeable sunlight glare off of all the actors <laughs> from where the sun is, even though you're supposed to pretend that you can't really see the sun. <laughs> yeah, and it looks almost green in a way, like a slightly tinged greenish-brownish glare. I don't know, yeah, it was kind of right, weird. But the whole green thing again is is actually tornado accurate. Okay. I, so I did. It wasn't the green that I thought they overused, but I do think they made it a bit on the dark side. I think it could have been lighter, but still green. Right, because it was like genuinely hard to see Anna Silk's face. Yes. Yeah, it was very difficult to see their facial expressions, but I still thought it was shot really well. I particularly love the opening shot. It's a it's a what you call it a tracking shot over or a panning shot. I don't know. The camera is moving, <laughs> and you, we're seeing we're taking in all the rubble and. Bo and Dyson are kind of in slow motion walking over all this destruction around them. And I just really liked it. Mm -hmm. And like kudos to the, the set people. Cause that was some good rubble. Yeah. The, the enhanced video or yeah, the enhanced version showing the video of how much work goes into just even creating realistic rubble that still has to be safe, that they have to get all the parts and all the plywood and everything, which they also said they recycled from the mountain set and, beginning in season five episode one and even the work it takes to clean up you know they said it took 12 hours and props to the production crew and everybody. i hope emily andrews had some help this time yeah <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know stephanie is referring to i forget what episode that was it's in 308 it's in fake oh. machine at the end where all of the cards fall down the cards fall down fall down on tamsin and Emily Andrews said that she picked all of them up herself. <laughs> she had to pick all of them up. She didn't have any help. <laughs> but that that opening scene, oh, the the heartbreak just it hits you almost immediately. Where we see Tamsin saying some sweet stuff to Bo, and Bo wanting to tell Tamsin, but uh, no, uh, uh, a little misunderstanding, but she can't do it. And I don't blame her. Like that was an awkward time to try to do such a thing. Wrong place, wrong time. Right? Yeah. Oh, how I wish she'd just done it, like, a few weeks ago. <laughs> you know? I know. It would have made things so much easier. Yeah, but I, I felt really, I don't know, torn in that first scene, because I really just wanted Bo to go ahead and do it, just get it over with and tell Tamsin what was up. But I can also understand why she didn't. I don't know. Were either you screaming at the screen saying, Bo, tell her, or was that just me? Are you one of those rip the bandaid off people? I am. I'm a rip the band-aid off type of person. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't surprise me, but because <laughs> I lack the sentimentality that you have, Annie. That's why it I know surprise you. because she has. She doesn't have as many feels as I do because she's heartless. <laughs> it's true. I had it removed. It's sitting up on my mantle in case I might need it one day. But mostly, uh, <laughs> so much better without it. <laughs> Ew, that sounds really gross. 
the the crew then moves over to Lauren's clinic when where Alfe is breaking out. And I was happy that we got Dr. Patel back, even though he did not last the episode. Were you so I sad know. when he died? We lost two. We lost so- two. Like with guest stars, and I really liked this episode. I was so sad I know. that Dr. Patel didn't make it. So upsetting. I, I kid you not. They get to that scene where Lauren talks to him and he doesn't turn around. And if you want, I will reenact my response. And I I kid you not, I did this out loud watching the episode. Oh, shit. Shit, shit, shit. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Poor Sam slash Dr. Patel. He's so cute. I know. So cute. He's so cute and hunky in that first scene. Anyway. Sorry, I'm distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie does have feelings. <laughs> Only about Dr. Patel. Slap. <laughs> I was going to make a crude joke about not having removed another one of my body parts, but I won't do that. Okay. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it Never mind, it's to be a dirty later. Annie. Yeah, I know, but I still don't get it. <laughs> anyway. You can have your Dr. Patel feelings. I'll have my Dr. Lewis feelings. <laughs> I have feelings below my waist, Daddy, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just trying to figure out the body part. <laughs> I think I got it. <laughs> oh, Gordy. Okay. Oh, way off the rails. I in the in the scene we see in in Lauren's clinic, the first scene. I I was kind of happy that Dyson thought of Lauren and told Bo. I'm worried about somebody coming after the serum, and that made my Bo stay behind. That made me happy that Dyson like thought about Lauren. That made me very happy because he's pretty much been like that all season. I like the the Lauren and Dyson bromance, how they're, but particularly how Dyson's looking out for Lauren. Yeah, that made me happy because I wonder if Bo would have stayed had Dyson not mentioned that to her. Yeah, Dyson was really in friend mode this episode. Mm-hmm. And I really I wonder because he could have stayed behind with Lauren, but maybe he just really wanted to focus on the God thing since he's been working on the case, the ancients I should say, because he's been working on the case. Or I partially wonder if he knew there was some stuff going on between Bo and Tamsin, and was trying to give Bo a break. When Tamsin leaves with Dyson, she gives him a she gives her Bo a kiss, and Dyson gives her this look like Bo. Come on. Come on. Yeah. You got to deal with this. I did see somebody referring to Dyson as an excellent wingman. Yes. <laughs> I felt like he was being wingman-y in this episode. I really do. Well, then he talked to, to, excuse me, to Tamsin later on saying, you know, Bo's a succubus. There's probably going to be other people. I was a little yeah. disappointed with his characterization of her, but I do think he was trying to soften the blow for Tamsin, which I do appreciate. Right. Well, why? Isn't that true? Isn't that what the writers always say? There's always going to be other people. What is wrong with that characterization? I don't know. It might not be rational, but for some reason that characterization of Bo just bugged me. But again, I appreciate that Dyson was, I think, trying to be a friend to Tamsin. Well, it's because it's what he himself has been through for so many years, so he knows. Right. Mm-hmm. And for Tamsin to be unaware of otherwise is kind of a little naive on her part. It's hard when you're in love and that kind of blinds your... You have blinders on, which I think Tamsin did. Dyson and Tamsin leave, and Bo and Lauren stay in the clinic, and they're dealing with the cryobox that Ebony left behind, which conveniently is running out of power super fast. 
But when the box opened up and I didn't see anything, did y'all think, aren't y'all being a little conclusion jumpy that there was nothing in there? I know. I'm like, don't open the door, Bo. Viruses. You know, it could be a, a fey form of Ebola. Shouldn't Lauren warn you? Hey, don't touch. We can inhale something and just die. So I was kind of freaked out about that. Actually, the thing that I first thought when they opened up the box and nothing was inside, I was like, aha, Ebony had hidden somebody inside there. And like one night when nobody was in the clinic, they'd like gotten out of the box and like snooped around for Lauren's serum or something is what I thought. Hmm. I still thought they were a little hasty thinking, oh, there's nothing in there. Right. But I did have that thought too, Chris, that either it was just Ebony trying to put pressure on Lauren by giving her a box that she thought was a big threat and actually wasn't, or something had stowed away in there and had escaped in the clinic. I did did like how Lauren yelled out her full name, though. I just thought that was funny. (laughs) Yes. It's like she was a little girl in trouble. (laughs) Well... That and uh, I think it was in Dorothy Snarker's review. She's like, wow, everybody's going to evacuate the lab in 90 seconds. What are they? The flying wounded? Yeah. No kidding. Well, I think the plan was that he was evacuating people and they were going to try to contain it. But yes, it did play out kind of like, uh, I don't think you can get everybody out of there in, in 90 seconds, Lord. And then the knife that Lord, that Bo picked up looked like some weird Ginsu sushi knife, not like a her usual dagger. Was that a know. knife? I couldn't even tell what the hell that was. I know, I and couldn't I'm like, either. It looked like knife? a candle. It, it looked it really <laughs> like a weird blade, and then I'm like, don't poke Lauren with it when you're hugging her. So anyway, <laughs> it looked because, like a, a like a taper candle to me. Yeah, it just looked weird. Well, it's not like you could tell because there was no freaking lights on in the episode. It just didn't even look pointy. I was like, yeah, pointy or sharp. I was just kind of. It's like, are you going to hit them with that? What is your plan yeah. here, Bo? It's like to the poke police batons. It. <laughs> it looked like a Harry Potter wand or something. I posit that Lauren has a Harry Potter wand, and that's what Bo found. Yep. I would not put it past her. So Kate, who is image feeder on Twitter, she said, weapon priority on Lost Girl. Don't have a weapon that will poke someone during sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> depends on what kind of toy you use. Well... What kind of poking are you talking about, Kate? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm dirty today. I'm sorry. (laughs) I got that one. And Cindy thought that the weapon looked like a microplane grater. (laughs) Which, those those hurt. Those hurt. Like, that that could be genuinely ouchy. (laughs) What's she gonna do? Great arrows to death? Not to death, but, you know, wound him. (laughs) So, little Badwell, she sent us some tweets asking... What I, I say, she. I believe she's a she, but we'll say they. They sent me some tweets saying that they were wondering what we, why we thought the arrows didn't attack immediately when the box opened. Yeah. Other than the fact that you know, Bo and Lauren are main characters in the show, and they wanted them to have sex. I, you know, yay. So- <laughs> Eros is on our side. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if Eros is is Faye, then wouldn't it be logical that Eros feeds off of that sort of thing? That's a good point. Yeah, somebody did suggest, this This might make you scream at me, Annie, and I apologize, but somebody okay. did, did ask me if I thought that Eros caused Bo and Lauren's hookup, if he encouraged that happening. Well, at least we got to see something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say it's very accepting Bo and of it. <laughs> 
it's my romantic in me. It's Beau and Lauren's true repressed love that have been repressed for so long they just attacked each other. Eros had nothing to do with it. It was all hormones. And then Annie's like, can Eros direct all the episodes from now on? <laughs> I know! <laughs> I think even if he did, even if his presence did cause that to happen, it's not like he was starting out from nothing, right? He, there was yeah, clearly exactly. attraction between the two of them. So. There's been like Florence flirting said, the it's not like we were going in that direction anyway, Bo, so. But yeah, my only thought was that perhaps because Eros had been in that box for so long, he wanted to get his bearings before he started just attacking people willy-nilly. So he made himself scarce until he could figure out what was going on. That's my only thought as to why he might not have attacked him immediately. Plus, yeah. Sam was by himself, so maybe True. there's that too, He's right? your prey. He's like, well, these two are getting it on. I Maybe I'd rather watch and get some inspiration from them. Uh, and then I'll go and kill somebody else. So Eros is you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fly on the wall. So after the box opens, there's a, they think a big nothing in there. This leads into the, the dancing. You can call it the name if you want to call it it, Annie. The twee twee name. Okay. The dance. Which again, I love that scene. Loved okay, it. But loved it, loved it. Here's the thing. Because Bo's like kind of annoyed. You know, you can see it in her face as Lauren goes and turns on the song. And she's like, well, shouldn't we save the generator power for something more important? And then Lauren comes over and they start dancing and she says she could be listening. What does Bo do? She looks up directly towards the camera. I'm like, Bo, don't be so obvious. <laughs> so what if she's looking too? Well, Bo had to be audience proxy and direct us to the I fact know. that there were cameras. Uh, but yeah, but not yeah. very, not very stealthy, Bo. It's true. I was like, Bo, you're, you're, you can be more stealthy than that. Not that Bo cared because in a few minutes she was having sex. So that's what I was going to say. Like, do we think was that the same room that they stayed in with the camera there? I think so. I know, and I'm like, I think so. no, 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 no. I think they moved into a side room. I swear. Eh, I don't know. Maybe. Well, but I there think they no were still bed in, that in the room team. where Eros's box was. So, you know, no sheets, no nothing. I think that. But yeah, I did have that thought. And I'm like, they better damn well have turned that camera off. Well, but there was a an area of, in that lab where Cassie was on a bed. And I think Bo yeah. sits on a bed in 501 when she goes to visit Lauren in the lab. So I think there was a bed in that general room. That little alcove. Yeah. And it's not like there wouldn't be another camera in the other room. So back to the dancing. I did like the scene, but at the same time, I was having a hard time believing that Lauren wouldn't have already told Bo what was up in regards to her plans for Ebony's clinic, like what she was doing at Ebony's clinic. I had a hard time buying that. Well, Mm -hmm. Bo and Lauren haven't had a lot of scenes by themselves this season, and I don't know. I mean, I just don't think that, you know, because we've discussed how Lauren has been pulling back and is not been telling Bo everything. She didn't tell her directly about the death threats that I was like, well, maybe they just haven't had time to yet. Or It was just for story convenience. I get that. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, you know, we see her show up at Lauren's lab in the first episode. You know, she knew where to go. Clearly, she didn't call first. Yeah. It, you know, I, 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 it was hard for me to believe that she didn't know what Lauren was up to. There's no good reason for Lauren not to have told her. Like, last mm-hmm. season, I could understand why she didn't tell her her plans about getting close to the Morgan and in order to do this thing. I, I, I can understand that, but there's no good reason for her not to have told Bo this, yeah. this thing. Well, and like they're hanging out for movie nights and stuff. So yeah, you kind of can't use the excuse that they haven't well, been socializing. So for once it's, 
Like, uh, at least they told it on screen instead of implied it off screen. And yeah, there's maybe no good reason. I do want to know what Lauren's reason is, what her ultimate reason is for, she says, living her dream of treating Faye and humans and none of it's for Evany. And I know you don't like this idea, Stephanie, but it was occurring to me as her plan to turn herself Faye so that the romantic in me says she could be with Bo. Or, you know, what's her, what's the goal of her Lauren's research? What does she want to do with it? Defay everybody or fay everybody. She's interested in medicine, though, so it could just be she wants to. She finds Faye fascinating, and she wants to work with these creatures. Yeah, but it, she has the power now to defay or fay people, and people are willing to kill for it. But I think that's our point, Annie. That even though she's a target now, she's also got a certain measure of protection because she has this power now. I, again, the whole "I'm the boss" thing, right? She's like she'll decide what to do with it. The dancing scene, I, I, I don't know, I wish they had talked about something else, because I felt like they talked about things that we'd already knew. Personally, because I felt like I have no idea what's been going on with Bo and Lauren the entire season. I'm like, why didn't you talk about the fact that you haven't, why haven't you been together since Dark, Dark Horse, you know? It's like, why didn't you talk about that? Or the fact that one of you is much longer lived than the other. Have that conversation, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> but that was a big theme in this episode, which makes me hopeful that they will get around to it. Right. I think they've they've opened the door sufficiently in this episode that it seems like it's going to be at least something they'll address, I hope. But can I just say, can I just say, okay, there was the, no. there was the docubus sex. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. There was the docubus sex, which Annie has, has gone on about being really happy about. Why wasn't it longer? <laughs> okay, yes. That's the thing. It was very short. For me, though, the great Beaumont moment in this episode was that kiss or the kisses at the end of the dance scene. There was just so much there between the two of them, I thought. That's why we love them. Well, the thing is, is that this was, okay, this is my reenactment of watching them going, oh my God, please don't get interrupted. Please don't get interrupted. Something's going to interrupt them. I know it will. I know it will because it just hasn't happened yet this season. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> then I pounded my desk. A lot. There was a lot of desk pounding that night. Mustn't say anything dirty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I, I, I rewatched that kiss scene before we started recording because I was trying to figure out, okay, what makes it so great? And part of it is that Bo makes this sexy times are going to happen type of statement, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then they they pull back and they look at each other and Bo kind of leans in and Lauren then kind of leans in yeah. and then they meet in the middle. And it's, it's like this kind of negotiation thing, it, you know, this, this reintroduction to each other. And then Bo just like grabs her really tightly and it's both familiar, but urgent at the same time. And it's just fantastic. I wanted to read something, a part of a comment that dark rat left on our, on our website. Cause I liked what she said here about, and Lauren, and I think she potentially has a has a point that we haven't discussed before. The Lauren slash Beau dance slash sexy time scene was lovely, though bittersweet, overshadowed by the acknowledgement of Lauren's mortality. Beau's comment that she wished they could lie there forever was heartbreaking, especially coming from a character who has mostly been portrayed as living in the moment. I think this is partly where her obliviousness comes from, i.e. she's thinking about the present moment and not how the moment or how her actions might affect events or people in the future. 
Lauren almost seems to break at Bo's statement, but then she reins it in and decides to just be a nice role reversal for these two characters. And I did want to mention that when, when Bo makes that statement, I wish we could lie here forever. There's this pause and it looks like Lauren's going to respond in some way, but ultimately she just offers to open up a really expensive bottle of wine. Did y'all notice that too? Did you think Lauren was holding something back? No, not until later, but I did read that comment uh, on the Drinks of the Doll site, and I really liked how it brought out the point of Bo wanting to live in the moment and how that could contribute to her, what people are calling her being oblivious to other people's feelings. I did notice the pause, and I don't know, I don't know how to interpret it necessarily, because I feel like it's might it might be sort of a you know debating like the internal debate like how do I respond to this statement, and of course I mean there is the lingering issue of the difference in potential lifespan. So I don't know whether it's a matter of deflection or living in the moment or I don't know. See, I didn't notice it because I was too happy in the afterglow along with Bo, so I didn't notice it until Vans pointed it out later. But uh, see, I'm of that mindset too. I don't want to think about it now, but I mean, it makes me wonder, will they talk about it more? Because Stephanie, you had mentioned, you know, how come we're not talking about the lifespan thing? That's what we want to talk about, or that's what you wanted to see. And so will they finally get to that in a a later episode? Yeah, I really liked that Dark Rat pointed out the fact that Bo does tend to be impulsive and live in the moment and not always think about consequences. I think that's actually a quality that we've seen in Bo several times, and we didn't really account for that in our discussion of, what was Bo thinking sleeping with Tamsin when she clearly had such a big crush on her? So I thought that was a a good thing to point out. Well, and how many relationships has Bo really had? You know, where she's killed all these people throughout this 10-year span, and now she's only been with the Fae for a few years, and she has Dyson and Lorne and that whole confusing thing. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, she's still learning how to treat people in a relationship. Never mind her Fae powers, which makes it, which makes it even more confusing. I'm sorry, I kind of breezed by the Dactibus, the actual Dactibus sex, Annie. Was there any other comments you wanted to make? <laughs> uh, no, except that it, yeah, it should have... A little less blue and gone on longer, but it was, I mean, it was honestly, you know, I I wonder where this is going to go next episode. Are they going to say, well, that was just a one-time thing and we were caught up in the moment and where Bo was going to see herself in relation to, well, I think it's pretty clear where she sees herself in relation to Tamsin, but where she will see herself in relation to Lauren. And I I will say, I often find the breathy, moany, track that they record in ADR to put over the scene. (laughs) I often think those are cheesy, but this one was really sexy, so good job. (laughs) What? (laughs) It wasn't that much breathy moany. I would have done. I know, because there's only a few seconds, but it was a good one. Like, the the ADR was done well, is what I'm saying. (laughs) There wasn't any, I mean, there was, it was just the song, and Tamsin watching him through the glass, I didn't hear any breathy moany. Oh, no, no, no. Listen to the headphones, my friends. You will be rewarded. See, that's why I got to go back and listen with headphones. Okay, I'll do that. (laughs) So Bo and Lauren romantic stuff, moving on from from that section of it and moving into the Bo and Lauren taking on the case side of their their storyline. And you mentioned, Danny, that you you really liked the, you know, Lauren breaking the glass and grabbing the axe and and that whole moment. Well, I mean, think about it. It's such a change from 
you know, season one and no, I can't go on a case with you. I, you know, I can't leave with the Ash's permission and being imprisoned by the Ash and just again, coming into her own and being the boss. And just the more we see of that, the, I mean, that was a desk pounding moment for me. I was so happy to see that, you know, and it's such even a role reversal that I think someone made a Tumblr gif or something. Whereas Bo says, I'm not leaving you at the end of season two. And, you know, yet still goes off to fight the Gerudo while Lauren stays behind. And then, you know, this time it's a role reversal where, you know, Lauren says, I'm not leaving you to Bo. And that she's, and then she adds, I'm not afraid anymore. I assume that's referring to her life, you know, for the five years plus where she was imprisoned by the Fae. And, you know, I'm sure very afraid of what her life would bring and not having any hope to, you know, standing up besides Bo. And somebody also pointed out it's a role reversal. Well, Bo has the idea, okay, this is how we're going to bring Eros down. So Bo's like the brains behind it. And Lauren's more of the brawn, where she's the one throwing the axe and doing the physical aspect of taking down the baddie. It was neat to see that. The I'm not afraid anymore thing felt a little out of place to me. I, I, I'm guessing maybe they meant it more in the case in the sense of we saw her being afraid when she was getting all the death threats earlier in the season. Because mm-hmm. she, Lauren's been freaking brave for several years. Like, yes, back in, in season season one, beginning of season two, you know, she she was more playing the game and trying to get along in the her lot in the Fey world, but she's a freaking brave character. But what I but I did really love that the general sentiment of that scene being asserting that fact to Bo, who does tend to think that she needs to protect Lauren a lot. Be massively overprotective, yes. Right. And and I and that's sweet. I like that Bo is protective and she wants to protect the people that she loves. But I love that Lauren made her ability to stand up for herself known to Bo. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, it sort of plays in contrast to like the end of season two, where Lauren is very brave and goes with everybody to confront the Garuda, but she kind of goes there mostly as like a medical assistant. <laughs> Somebody charges at her, and she just screams. The guy gets taken down by the other characters who are protecting her. Yeah, Kenzie shoots Kenzie him in the back of the head. Yeah. So to me, that's more sort of what it's about. It's not that she wasn't brave before. It's that I'm okay to defend myself now. Mm-hmm. But well, I gotta say, Bo's plan for taking down Eros, they really got lucky, it seemed like, that the yeah. lightning struck the axe and killed the guy. I mean, at I, I just the right moment. At just the right moment. I mean, granted, Bo maybe didn't know that the axe wouldn't work, but doesn't, doesn't Ebony say, you know, no weapon or chemical will take him down? Yeah, unless it's rigged with wiring and well, here's the thing, because they say it takes an ancient to kill an ancient, so are we assuming that was Zeus's lightning bolt that struck him? I'm thinking, was Zeus watching and just wanted to kill him and Eros and found an opportunity? I don't know. Well, but it was Zeus's storm. Yeah. That's what I think they were going for, was that it was lightning from a storm created by Zeus rather than Zeus particularly struck the lightning bolt to kill Eros. Well, because you notice the axe was wrapped with wire. wire. Yeah. yeah. Basically becoming a lightning rod is what they're going for here. Yeah. They explained everything else so much, but I do think that was part of the plan, was they they actually themselves wrapped the wire on the axe to attract the lightning. They did. Well, I thought the Eros thing was a little... I mean, it was nice how it gave a chance for the character of Ebony to explain her past. She had her heart broken by him. That's why she became the way she she is. But, I don't know. I mean, I just thought... Eros could have been, I mean, I know he's invisible, but just the effects in that scene with 
Ebony just looked a little silly, and then taking him down, I don't know, it just, it didn't quite work for me. As being, this is the biggest, baddest threat and fey of all kind, and you take him down with a wire-wrapped axe and a conveniently placed lightning bolt? That's it? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Like, <laughs> it was a bit, a bit of a, a, an anticlimactic for the buildup of, you know, he's the worst fae that ever lived, the most evil fae that ever lived, and he was taken down by something Benjamin Franklin could have really bricked up, probably. Exactly. And a throwing percentile of 82%. And then, because Ebony phrased it that way, though, when she gave the box to Lauren... I thought, oh, this is going to like totally be climactic and come in with the ancients and become more of, I don't know, I just thought that whatever came out of that box would live a little longer beyond 20 minutes in an episode, and we would never like physically see him because he's invisible. Yeah, it did connect to the ancients plot in that it, it introduced the fact that Ebony know, probably knows information that could be helpful for facing them. But yeah, I, I too, I thought that threat would be longer for this world than it actually was. Yeah. In that sense, I was a little disappointed in the writing. I find I have a lot of technical questions. Like, okay, if, if they had him in this box that needed power to keep him in the box, like, when was this box constructed? Right. When did she catch him? Right. Because the stuff that she was citing that had happened was stuff that happened, like, you know, a couple thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like it was a long, long time ago. Because I looked up the story of uh, Cupid and... Psyche? Yes, Psyche, thank you. Which was apparently written in the 2nd century AD. Uh-huh. So are you questioning why they were able to rig up such a fancy-powered box in the 2nd century AD when electricity didn't Well, exist? clearly they didn't have that box then, right? <laughs> Unless they just figured- the Bay have been holding out on us power-wise, which is always possible. Maybe they just captured him in one powerful box or spell and moved him from box to box as technology in the century is involved. I mean, presumably I that's true, but this is this is my problem then. Like, why is it only that, <laughs> like, two backup generators which immediately failed upon a supernatural blackout? Because it was a supernatural blackout, Chris. <laughs> That, that that was seriously my answer. I'm all, well, everything's failing because it's not just a regular blackout. It's a supernatural blackout. But, but if they'd managed to keep him for, you know, however long, potentially as early as the supernatural blackout, Chris. <laughs> then the supernatural blackout has, has other powers. powers. Yes. We'll have to drop it, Chris, and let it go. I mean, I had that thought, too. And I'm like, I can't believe he's taken down by a friggin' axe. I don't know. I should say, I'm sitting here being really picky and critical. I enjoyed this episode. Let me just reiterate. I enjoyed this episode a lot. Me too. I did too. We are just, uh, you know, we're doing what microscopically, fans who view the show microscopically do and kind of teasing apart some of the ridiculousness of of supernatural fantasy shows. Because this is a thing, it's just what we do. (laughs) It's why we have a podcast. And I like to have silly discussions about silly problems I have with things. Well, it's just funny because I feel like so far this episode, we've been particularly nitpicky. And uh, when we all really seem to like the episode, so I just find that really funny. Yeah. I don't know why that is. The complaints get more ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The better a thing is. So Yeah. Well, because you can only spend so much time saying, I liked it. I liked it a lot. This was good. This I really thought this was good. Sex was good. This was good. The acting was good. But what about this? Why doesn't the power last? 
you know, they brought in Ebony into the storyline, as they should have. It was her box <laughs> that she gave to Lauren. Uh, but they show her going to Vex, and they go to Lauren's lab to try to find the serum while Lauren's all distracted. And then Vex just disappeared. Yeah. Was what it because happened? he was afraid of Eros, or what? Or was just, he supposed to be an oracle vision? I mean, we, uh, he was the real no. thing at the bar, but why did he just disappear? Maybe because what? it was implied that he just ditched Ebony to... He wasn't going to help her. Right, when he and Mark are playing beer pong, Mark says something about how he ditched Ebony. But it just felt like there were several times in this episode when suddenly people were just gone, and I thought, where did they go? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> They got scared of the dark and decided to go back home <laughs> or to the doll. I don't know. I did think it was a little silly effects wise to, again, the arrows just didn't seem like a very big threat because he was invisible. And then you have, and then you have Emmanuel Vauger acting opposite nothing and having to kiss air. And it just didn't, I mean, while she did a great job acting wise, it just, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me story wise. I don't think she kissed air. I think she kissed a guy wearing one of those green, hoodie thingies. Well, that would be creepy. I actually thought that was a pretty good scene, even though it was on the ridiculous side, given that she's talking to an invisible guy. I thought she was really good, and I liked oh, yeah. the vulnerability that we saw from her in that scene. Although, again, back to the nitpicking, how did Lauren know exactly where he was and that it was safe to throw that axe directly at Ebony? Because she was kissing him. No, she did that before she kissed him. Oh. There's actually, I rewatched, and it's hard to see because the episode is so dark, but you can see his footprints in okay. the uh, water. I did wonder that's on also the ground. if that was part of why they went outside, because, like, yes. the rain. You know what yeah. they need it's to do? It's actually re- really well done, the, the <laughs> effects, but anyway. You know, you know what they need to do when they release this episode on Blu-ray and DVD? They need to have the alternate version where everything is lighter, so we can see everything. <laughs> Well, I'm wondering what was in Lauren's safe behind the bush, of course. So the bush serum. Is the, the serum. So she's completed it, and what is she going to use it for? But I do love that Walbush at least seemed to make an appearance in the form of a little bush, apparently. Walbush is still alive, so yay. I loved um, Ebony's, when will I ever learn? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's behind a bush, of course. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think that she's completed the serum to turn Ebony back into a fake? There's really no benefit for her to do that. The whole holding, the fact that she could over her head is really where she's getting her power right now. Again, that's, we don't know what Lauren's means when she says, you know, I'm doing all this for myself, meaning all this research. So I'm wondering what Lauren has, but maybe that could be answered next episode. Because my other thought was that what if Lauren used, is her serum powerful enough to defay the ancients? Hmm. Of course, while all of this arrow stuff is going on in Lauren's lab, we have the plot of the oracles going around and showing themselves to people in these particular guises. And that made me happy, first of all, because remember back in It's Your Lucky Faye, I was asking, why did they take Cassie with them? Why didn't they just take her eyes? This is why they needed her to be a, you know, a bloodhound, essentially, and and go find something eventually. So that made me happy that there was a reason for why they'd kept the oracles. 
So really, the question now is, why did they keep the eyes? Exactly. Why do they keep the eyes? Oh, maybe they still need them. Or maybe it was just a convenient way to show this guy, he's creepy, he took the Oracle's eyes, and he's got Trick's book. But I'm hoping the eyes will also come back into play. Except I had this question, you know, the other two Oracles, was it Pythia and Adona? I oh, Dodona, I think. Dodona. They mentioned that it was only Cassie missing from the, the clinic. You know, what happened to the other two Oracles? Were they ever treated? Were they just like in another offsite place that, you know, because only Cassie was in the lab and then taken from the lab. I'm like, what happened to the other two poor oracles? You know? That's a good point. I actually hadn't so, thought about that, but that's a really good point. Yeah, I was kind of laughing. So anyway. Maybe they had families that they got sent home to, I but poor so. Cassie didn't. Yeah, that's poor true. Poor Cassie. So, really anyway. poor Cassie after this episode. I know. Lost her so I, this was me. I was just like, no, 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 no. She's going to shove you over the back. Cassie, no. So uh, that was another one of my oh shit moments. I know. It sucks. I just, I can't believe that that was the end for Cassie. I was hoping maybe she survived or something, but I saw that Vanessa Matsui tweeted something about that being her last episode. And I just thought, no, this can't be the end for poor Cassie. Damn it. What is it with Lost Girl killing off really likable supporting characters? You know, or not Cassie bringing them back, i.e. Bruce. Yeah, uh, Bruce. I don't want Bruce to like be offhandedly referenced to now, like Meyer. Oh, by the way, he's dead. You know, that would <laughs> suck. <laughs> that would be terrible. But but back to the back to the Oracle's plot. Wait, stuff I, that actually happened. Yeah, stuff that actually happened. <laughs> Again, I, I I like this device more or less. I think it, it led to some really nice scenes. And I guess the first one which we'll talk about is the scene between Vex and Mark. I really liked the scene, but as Chris can tell you, afterward I was like assessing myself and thinking, okay, it weirded me out when Bo had sex with Mark back in 504, but I didn't have the same reaction to the scene between Vex and Mark, and I'm trying to figure out why. Like I'm disappointed in myself that I've had these two different reactions and I can't really I can't really figure out why I had the two different reactions. She did. She like DM'd me with a with a crisis of conscience. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. That's funny. Well, but because here, here's the possibilities I've I've thought of. Either I have a different standard between you know different sex couples and same sex couples, which that's not cool. B. I've gotten used to the idea since it happened with Bo that they're just that this is the way that they're going to present this character. C. Which Chris offered. I expect less of, of Vex moral-wise. <laughs> or D, it, it didn't end up being real anyway. But I, I'm disappointed in myself that I wasn't like, oh, he's so young, Vex. And Vex is even older, you know, bigger age difference than, than Bo and Mark. I don't know. I was, my reaction to the scene when I was just like, oh, oh my God. Ew. I mean, not because it was... Not because it was two males, but because it's just, I don't like the character of Mark and I didn't, I don't want to see him. I mean, even more so than, you know, when he had sex with Bo, we didn't know who he was and he wasn't that annoying to me yet, but now it's because I really don't like the character. I was like, oh God, I don't want to see him romantically or sexually attracted to any of the characters, any of the main ones, Vex or otherwise. So that's what shocked me personally. It's just because I don't like the character. You just don't want him personally attached to any of the uh, no main characters. So, so that's why it's really surprising that that's apparently who Vex wants, who's in its heart. I don't know. Vex has got its taste, so. 
Well, let's talk about that because in the message that Melina sent us, she mentioned that she thought it would have been so much better if that Vex had seen Dyson and the encounter happened between Vex and Dyson. And I really understand where she's coming from, the idea that this hostility that's existed between the two of them is, you know, this latent homosexual tension and and Dyson is an established character. And I do think that would have been a good choice. However, the way that this scene was used in the episode, it was the first scene that we saw with the with the Oracle encounter. And I think they really wanted us to buy it for a certain period of time mm-hmm. until that follow-up scene where Mark's like, what are you talking about? What thing in the keg room? So if it had been Dyson, me personally, I wouldn't have believed for the second that that was on the up and up. I would have immediately been suspicious. See, I'm gullible, so I believe everything. So I would have bought it. But I do I do see the appeal of that idea of Vex and Dyson because it's the classic love-hate trope, you know, between two rivals. I would have thought that was really interesting. And, you know, as we've discussed before, why hasn't Dyson been shown to have any male relationships within his long thousand year plus life. We're sure he's had some, you know, it just would be interesting to put the male characters in a different spin than just have everybody be centered around Bo. Here's Stephanie, your friend Elizabeth has offered this for you. Maybe it's more Bo Dyson's relationship that makes Bo Mark a little squicky for you. Maybe it's possible. But the Vex Mark scene, I I really liked it. I, I liked that we got to see this more vulnerable side of Vex and we see him is something that we, I think we never thought Vex would say. We hear Vex say, this is wrong. This is probably the last character that we would expect to declare something was wrong. And I wonder what about it was wrong to him. The fact that Mark was Dyson's son, the fact that he's so young, what was it that made him stop and say, this is really wrong. Probably a combination of two. all of those things. Yeah, I would say that. You know, and him thinking, okay, it's another reason for your father to want to kill me if he ever finds out. Not necessarily that it's, you know, him and another man, because it's kind of obvious to anybody that Vex would swing that way. Yeah, somebody tweeted Paul, Paul Amosin was saying, you know, implying that, he, that Vex seemed surprised that he was attracted to a man, and Paul replied and said, I think he was more surprised by the fact that he was being told that he loved this person. Yeah. And and Vex, I think, has always been presented as fluid, if nothing else. So I was not surprised that he would have an interaction, a sexual interaction with man, personally. It's well, more it of a surprise that Vex may have love for anything other than himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and it is nice to, you know, again, we don't see a lot of male-male uh, scenes in this show. And this was like, you know, even though it wasn't showing everything, it certainly implied everything with, you know, Mark going down south. So, you know, that's pretty, you know, up to par with what it showed with. How- I didn't know that Mark visited Texas. Did you know that, Chris? Shut up. <laughs> Do not laugh at my bad jokes. <laughs> so I had a moment where I, I was talking to my partner and I was like, so, and then Mark goes down on Vex, like, wait a minute, is that an appropriate phrase to use for men? I had a moment. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that gender neutral? I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> I think it's gender neutral, I think but it that's is just me. No, I think it but, is. But, you know, yeah, I just, it was on par with what season, was shown sexually. So, yeah. I saw several people talking about that, the, the blowjobs and how it seemed out of place on Lost Girl. And I think it's mainly because we haven't seen them before, quite honestly. Exactly. exactly. It's kind and of I'm more like, shocking that it's taken this long. Yeah, I'm like, it's in, Lost in Girl, you've got to show but... a blowjob eventually. And several people have commented 
it's strange that Vex's one true person he most desires is Mark. And I have wondered if part of the reason he desires Mark is Mark's connection to Dyson, if it may be Mm. symptomatic of him feeling connected to Dyson, wanting to be connected to Dyson. I don't know, because especially what we saw after what we saw in When God Opens a Window, it really seemed like Vex was trying to get close to Dyson, like make nice with Dyson. Well, yeah, I mean, I that's why I was so shocked at that scene, because I'm like, we just met this character. How could Vex be so attracted to him? To me, it didn't make sense. Here, Stephanie's friend Elizabeth says, I thought the quote unquote wrong was the Dyson connection and that it was a turn on for him. Just a thought. Hmm, interesting. Paul, I thought was really great in that scene. Both of them. I want to say big kudos to Luke Billick. We're, we're ragging on Mark, but big, big kudos to, to Luke Billick, who plays him. Like, that was really a very brave thing for a young, hunky actor to do. And I actually think he's doing a pretty good job playing Mark. I just don't care for Mark as a character. So I just want to say I, I really have a lot of respect for Luke Billick. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So that was the first Oracle Vision was, was Vex and Mark. And then the second one was between... Bo and Dyson. And by then, I, we had a sense that something weird was going on, right? Yeah, because we knew Bo sense. was yeah. back at the lab. And there's that whole, usually I can smell you coming from miles away. Again, I mentioned this in the shot episode. I just thought it was a lovely scene, both the scenes between Bo and Dyson. But, you know, it was beautifully shot. And I, I really thought it was a great scene for those two actors. Well, I, I was interesting that he was still telling his truth about Bo even if something was off. You know, he was still, I thought, anyway, that Dyson was still speaking very truthfully about how he felt for Bo at this point in time. Well, because that's the point, though, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the magic of it, right? Is that... But there's still truth in it, you know? It's not just all magic, you know what I mean? That was No, but I that's what was, I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious, though, about this comment that he makes where... They're both saying, I think about you all the time. And he says, I think about you too. And then she says, I just can't be with you right now. And then he replies, I know, same game. And then she says to him, maybe you should change the rules. And I'm wondering what that line might imply and if y'all had any thoughts about it. I don't know. I thought it was change the rules and, and still want to be with Bo besides just feeding or, you know, and play that same old triangle game or imply that he seemed to follow what seems to be his affections now and fall for a human with um, Alicia. Hmm. So I thought it could have been both. Interesting. Because he says earlier, I'm going to go see about a girl. I mean, there's the script seems to be going in that direction where as much as Dyson maybe not want to admit it that he could be developing feelings for Alicia... I hadn't thought it in that moment. I think there are other moments that sort of indicate that there's potential there. Weird as that is. Otherwise, what is the point of having this character stay on for more than just an episode? Cindy says maybe she was telling Dyson to fight for her. Yeah, that could have been true, too. But my docubus is going, no, stay friends, guys. Just friends. I don't know. I I like the relationship they have now. I do, too. The thing where, you know, it's like a deep platonic love. Mm-hmm. I wanted to not be so platonic between Bo and Lauren. You but drink a they... game. Drink every time Annie says something really obvious. Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, I thought that that whole line about, you know, maybe you should change the rules. I thought that too, Annie, that it might be that we see Dyson develop an affection for somebody else. Maybe she's telling him, maybe you don't just have to wait for me. 
the way that he seems to have been doing. Maybe you could go and find somebody else or you yeah, know, yeah. not, not wait for her, but you know what I mean? Like just sort of stand there and accept the fact that he loves her, but can't have her, you know, maybe she's trying to nudge him that you could go find somebody else. But I, I did have this question about this concept of truth because trick says that the oracles have to tell these people a truth in order to get a truth from them. And when we see the scene between Bo and Dyson in the gym, and then the Bo and Dyson, where it's real, real Bo, fake Dyson, in the clubhouse, the tone is very different in those two. I think Bo, the fake Bo in the gym, projects more of a romantic feeling toward Dyson mm-hmm. than real Bo does toward fake Dyson. Was it the smooching that tipped you off? It was the smooching that tipped me off. And so I'm wondering when Trick says they have to say a truth, is it a truth that is true for that person or a truth as in capital, you know, the truth as in capital, the capital truth, the capital truth of what, as in, this is the truth of that situation, like the definitive truth, whereas there can be relative, a relative concept of truth. Does that make sense? Yes. No, but I think it, to me, it was the truth coming from that person. Okay. The first, the first thing you said, that's how I inter- interpreted it. What, what was your thought about it, Chris? No, I, I agree with you that it, it seems like it's more about an individual truth. Yeah. I don't know that definitively, of course, but that seems to be what's happening, I would guess. I don't know. That was my thought, too, that it was a truth for that person rather than the truth, capital T, capital P. Yeah, but who's to say what the truth is? An objective person, like the like the oracle could. I guess. It's like the difference between a book told from someone's perspective and a book told from an omniscient narrator. Okay. Yeah. So instead of a person's perspective, you get this outsider view of what the situation actually is. Olin Samuel says, I think writers are going for Dyson regaining love for others. That was also mentioned in 411. Yeah. Mm. And into the line that Laveau makes a comment about how this whole, you know, one true love thing is just of his imagination, of his mind, essentially. Yeah. So we had that that moment between Dyson and Bo, and then the next one was between Trick and Isabeau. I was really happy to see Isabeau, and I wish that they had gotten a little bit of a longer scene, but I was very intrigued by I her know. comment of, I'll see you soon. What does that mean? I know. And so then we're questioning again, though, whether or not it's an objective truth or it's... The truth. Mm-hmm. Right objective or subjective truth so yeah so confusing does that mean that trick's gonna die does it mean that he'll see isabeau through some other means soon is it just his desires that they're projecting what does it mean unless unless i missed something don't the valkyries still need somebody close to bow to replace their missing person from valhalla yeah supposedly that is still a hanging plot thread, of course. So it could very well be Trick. Hmm. But as much as, as Mark can be annoying, I did giggle at his holy orgy trick. I, th- I thought that was actually a pretty good line. <laughs> but I giggled way too much when he was having all of those comments with sexual innuendo when he was talking to Vex in the dark oh, in yeah. the bar. Help me unload, will ya? <laughs> <laughs> I laughed a lot. More was, than probably was, was deserved. But I laughed a lot. Like, give me a hand? 
right here. <laughs> I was laughing at, at Vex's response. I know. Reactions to it. I was. Yes. And I was laughing. Well, and I also laughed at his uh, bobbing for candles. <laughs> <laughs> Vex has a way of describing sexual acts that I just, I just adore. Because he also came up with a smash up clam derby for lesbian sex back in season three. That is true. He did. I think that's why I find it so amusing that Vex was so thrown. Because usually Vex is the one causing everybody else to be, to be thrown and uncomfortable. But but when it's happening to him, it's funnier. Yeah. Cindy says, I think the real character's reaction showed the truths were more than just one perspective. I disagree. I, I feel like the fake bow was more romantically effusive toward Dyson than the real bow was. Because the, fa- the fake bow made it sound like, you know, I love you, but I just can't be with you right now. Like, it would happen sometime in the future, maybe. Whereas, you know, real bow told fake Dyson, love changes in indicating that she didn't necessarily love him in a romantic way like she used to. I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that, but... Time will tell. Yeah. I just like... uh Fake Lauren, because if Bo can have a fake Lauren, can I have a fake Lauren? Wait, Annie, did you just say that you want the oracles to come visit you and give you delusions of Lauren? Yes, that is what she is implying, yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Interesting. (laughs) Hey, I'd have babes all over me either way. I don't care. (laughs) So then the final appearance that the oracles make is, is to Bo, of course, who they've been looking for all along. To do what exactly? I'm not sure. This whole extracting extracting truth things. I'm like, what truth exactly did they get from Bo? I, they needed to know if she had it. Yeah. Which she does, but she doesn't know that she does. Wait, I, I'm guessing the candle? I don't know. I have no idea. But they didn't get Bo to say that by getting close to her, so I'm not sure. Anyway, the scenes with Bo and the people that her heart's most desire, they you know they start with Dyson. And I just, oh, I love Chris Holden Reed's performance in that little section. It's just so just sober and genuine and I thought I thought he did a really wonderful job at that and Anna's really good in the scene too but I thought she actually really shined when she was playing off of of Zoe Hmm. with um you know she looks like Lauren and then she does this like sigh and says she smells like Lauren tastes like me You had to go make it dirty, Annie. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, she said to be it. fair, that is the next line. I know, but she said it so dirty. <laughs> but I, I, to me, that's just the romanticism of what I want to hear when she says, implied, no matter what happens, no matter where I go, I can't not be with you. So, mm. Honestly, the first time I watched that, I thought she said cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait, I had to do a, yeah, twist that around in my head and go, that's a Double negative, yeah. Oh, I know, but it's it's like it's a hard to hear double negative, and yeah, yeah. But then the way Anna as Bo reacted, it's like, oh, that can't possibly be what she said. Yeah. And then you know, if we see the the shift from Dyson to Lauren, and again, I feel like the feelings that real Bo addresses to Dyson is what we've heard her indicate before is that she loves Dyson, but it's it's shifted into more of a platonic love, a more enduring yes. we're going to be at each other's side type of love but not necessarily a romantic love right. and then we move to lauren with the oracles are speaking Bo's truth this indication that we can't not be together to say hopefully a little more clearly the double negative can't not be together and again emphasizing this the shortness of time that they have and then it morphs into Bo's dad which i had a moment where i thought 
is this supposed to be what her heart, a person her heart truly desires, or is she actually just seeing her father through all of all of these machinations? But I think it's supposed to indicate that he's somebody her heart truly desires to be with. I don't know. I thought he was. I thought he came across as a vision, another morphed vision. That was my impression. But yeah, it could be that too. What her heart desires, because it's what she's been looking for forever. One more episode, and hopefully we'll see what he looks like next week. I don't know. It, it is one of those things. I think there's sort of this ongoing thing of Bo both wants him and is afraid of him. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think is sort of what's going on there. Because even her reaction to him as supposedly seeing what she wants, you know, she she doesn't react the way you normally would think to something that you desperately want, right? Because she looks afraid. She looked freaked out. Yeah. Yeah, she looked afraid. Well, here's the thing, too, when you're talking about the oracles and their truce and that they finally appear to Bo as the two people you would assume that she, you know, loves the most or has had the longest relationship with. So is that the oracles slash the ancients, her dad, now they know the two people to target? You know, or how to manipulate them to get to Bo? I think that's a very logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the ancients target Dyson and or Lauren as a result of this. Yeah. That makes sense. But it's one of those things... (laughs) I also have to wonder, like, is it, like, why did they need to do that to find that out? <laughs> it's not, it's not unobvious. True. Yeah, it, clearly, this, this was a, a device. This was a, a device in order to elicit some of these interactions between people. It's not the most logical way for these, these baddies to go about things. Definitely requiring some suspension of disbelief. But I'll go there, because I did enjoy the episode. And Cindy has tweeted, didn't drink Trink. Didn't shrink. <laughs> you just tweet that to the Say the oracles attempted to arouse so they could get close to their lips. Was Bo aroused by her dad? Yeah, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> Ew. Ew. I don't think so. Ew. But then we have That Bo- was not the sense that I got, no. But then we have Bo telling Trick the truth about Hades. So Right. Uh, which which made me happy. But again, it, it brought up this whole disconnect with, with, that I've had with Bo's reaction to finding out who her father was. And I'm just thinking, what does it matter? I feel like she's not focusing on the most important, horrible part. Like, the horrible part was that your father kidnapped your mother and assaulted her. Like, that's the horrible part. Like, hold her hostage. And you knew this going in. And I don't, I don't quite understand her reaction to the whole, my father is Hades. It's just been a disconnect for me with this season. I haven't really gotten the emotional weight, like why it has such emotional weight for Bo. Well, maybe because he's planning to probably kill them all. I don't know. He's a baddie. Maybe she's more worried about that first. But didn't she know that already? Or have suspicion that he was a baddie already? Yeah. Since I mean, everything that Trick said before, that when Trick started piecing things together, he seemed to think that whatever it was was going to be pretty bad. So yeah, I don't quite understand the new response. Unless it's just more real to her now, I don't know. I was glad to see Bo tell Trick, finally. Tell somebody besides Tamsin. Yeah, what she she learned in Tartarus. And Trick's reaction added some weight to Bo's revelation for him. He's like, okay, you know, this is a surprise to him too. So I'm glad that she told him. But again, I just don't quite understand why Bo is reacting quite this way 
to what she found out in Tartarus. And maybe it's just me being a heartless dummy that I just don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a new hashtag? Yep, heartless dummy. (laughs) (laughs) Me, I'm just dummy because it goes over my head. I don't get your sexual innuendo jokes. So Stephanie's friend Elizabeth says she already knew her dad was bad, so I don't get the reaction either. What's in a name? True. Yeah, because she was told and indicated last season that her father was Pyrrhus, who was trying to cross the gates and you know kill everybody. And it's like, yeah, I just I don't I just don't quite get it. But maybe wanna... that didn't throw her as much because as as your friend Elizabeth had established before, like Pyrrhus wasn't really like a known thing. Mm-hmm. But Hades, everybody knows who Hades is. I still who the want hell to Hades is. So let's talk about poor, poor Tamsin. Oh, poor, poor Tamsin. Oh, the acting was so good in this episode, y'all. It made me so sad. It was. It was so good that we're all depressed now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Tamsin. I mean, we have the. We just know from the beginning, like we said, from the beginning. It's just set up for her to get her little heart crushed. And of course she walks in and sees Bo and Lauren having sex. And then Bo, in my opinion, at the end of the episode, breaks up with her in the worst way possible. And oh, it's just terrible to see. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Well, I, I don't mean to be mean. I'm just repeating a tweet that someone wrote that I saw in my timeline. But how could it be a breakup if they weren't officially together? Yeah, yeah. In Tamsin's mind, they were. It it really broke my heart when Tamsin said, oh, yes, you have Lauren and this, but I know who your heart truly lies with. And then she said, me. And I'm like, oh, Tamsin. I mean, it was especially heartbreaking because we had just seen Bo have these visions of Lauren and Dyson and ultimately her father. So we, as the audience, we know that that's not where Bo's heart lies. And oh, my God, I just, oh. Well, for a split second, I thought Tamsin was going to say either Lauren or Dyson. But the fact that she said her, you know, just oh, shoved the dagger in my heart even more. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting uh, watching the enhanced version. It said that they had to bring in a stunt double. I'm not sure for which actress, because they said Rachel played the scene so feistily during rehearsal. And I'm like, wow, did they have to bring in one for Anna? Because... <laughs> Tamsin was getting too feisty with Bo, like, in an angry way? I don't know. That would so. make the most sense, because doesn't she throw Bo off of her when she tries yeah. to yeah. grab her to say, you know, stop, let me, you know, let me save more? Yeah. That would make but the I, most sense. Yeah, just amazing, amazing acting from Rachel. And it was so, it, it's so doubly heartbreaking because she says it, it's not just about Lauren being a human, you know, it shows that, you know, earlier in the episode, Tamsin says, well, I'm just worried about the one, you know, referring to Lauren. But she says when she's talking to Bo, it's, you know, so Lauren's good enough. Dyson's good enough. Even Rainer is good enough. You know, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, oh. But if you read the interview with Michael Grassi about this episode, he said the show, you know, I might be paraphrasing it wrong, just wanted to explore what happens when Bo doesn't love somebody romantically, when it's not the same level of feelings of one person versus another, which is what they haven't done yet with the succubus. I mean, there's feeding and then there's actual romantic attraction, which Bo has always had with Lauren, with Dyson, and even Rainer. Yeah, this is the first time where we've seen it not reciprocated on an even level. Thinking about it, it is actually kind of surprising that this hasn't happened before. That's true. So, Chris, did you want to talk about 
the breakup scene because there's a peek into behind the scenes, folks. We actually had originally when we were talking about the the episode for our shop discussion, we had a little bit of dialogue where Chris was saying, I think what Bo said to Tamsin was good. And I was like, really? I didn't. And I didn't think it in the shot episode because we didn't get into why. And I thought, eh, we'll just save it for the longer discussion. I feel like I should clarify. (laughs) Okay. Go, Go for it, Chris. First of all, I watched it in the middle of the night. So who knows what I was thinking. But I don't think it was terrible. But in the context of if they'd had this talk before is more what I was trying to get at. Like if they'd had this talk a month ago. <laughs> well, I saw your point, Stephanie, when I watched the episode again. I went, oh, yeah, if I were on the receiving end, that'd be a terrible thing to hear. But at least, I mean, at least I was relieved in the sense that Bo was finally clear and said, no, I'm not interested in you that way. But again, you should have said this a month ago. And what right. is the reason? And I'd mentioned before, and it's been a frustration among fans. Why do you think Bo has been so oblivious to how Tamsin is feeling or, you know, even Lauren or whatnot? You know, why do you think she has been oblivious this season? Well, here's why, here's why I say it was bad was that Bo was trying to explain Tamsin's feelings for her. And that is a terrible thing to do. And Tamsin was completely right to call her out for being patronizing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing. I feel like Tamsin, what Tamsin said to Bo is something that I think Dyson could have said to Bo. I think Lauren could have said to Bo. It was something Bo really needed to hear. And I think Bo had the best of intentions, but she did it so badly. You know, what she needed to say was, Tamsin, I am so sorry. Things have gotten completely confused. I just don't love you that way. But she tried to make excuses for why she, why Tamsin might feel that way, but she doesn't really feel that way because she's just confused. And no, 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 no. That is not cool. Do not do that. Yeah. Right. In watching it again, it is one of those things. I think she started out pretty well, and then it yeah. started getting into this whole... It went downhill. ...being sort of, uh, I guess, dismissive a little bit of Tamsin's feelings. And then it's kind of like, oh, Bo, no. Bo, no. Bo, no. Stop. Yeah. Because Bo has not been a particularly responsible succubus. She should have made clear with Tamsin early on that this was what she was intending with this relationship. Even if she was completely oblivious to the fact that Tamsin had a crush on her, if she was being a responsible succubus, she should have been more clear. I just, oh, I felt so, so much for Tamsin in that scene. It was so hard to watch. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, like, did they both just have blind spots where the other one was concerned? Or, like, what? Maybe. How did that happen? You I know? don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, because here's the thing. I'm getting really all. I had this, I realized recently, I had a similar situation happen to me where I was the bow and somebody else was the Tamsin. And I didn't realize that they had a crush on me and even told me later, thought that we were kind of dating for a while. No clue. No clue. But I did, maybe, there was maybe some drunken making out, I'm, uh, maybe, after I knew this fact. And I feel really badly about, well, I've gotten over it now, but I felt really badly when I realized that that had happened. I'm being critical of Bo and saying that she was a jerk, even if she didn't know she was a jerk, because I've been in that situation. I'm like, that was jerky of me. I shouldn't have done that. Even if I didn't intend to, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't a good thing to do. But I can completely, I know that that can happen because it's happened to me <laughs> that if there's just a complete 
you know, misalignment of expectations and communication about feelings and all that stuff. It can totally happen. Well, that's what made, I think, the writing kind of strong and the acting really, you know, just that just made it a really good scene is that it's realistic. I mean, people do that all the time, unfortunately. Right. And I guess yeah. that's why I tend to be easy on Bo or easier on Bo than a lot of people seem to be, just because what I feel like they're showing is that it is a big misunderstanding. Bo isn't inherently a malicious person. Well, and there's, know? there's times where you're having conversations like that and you're going, oh God, what do I say? What do I say? And it, it just comes out wrong or not the way you intended it. You don't want to hurt this person, but it just come, comes out all wrong. And I've been in that situation. Yeah. No, for sure. Like, Bo is a, well, for lack of a better word, Bo is human. She's not perfect. I'm not trying to say she's a horrible person because she handled that situation badly. I think Bo could use some time to think about it and, and use another opportunity to address what happened between the two of them. Well, this brings up my question that I've been ruminating on all week is that what do you think Tamsin's going to do? Because she is, you know, running off her emotions now and it can be really hot-headed and rash. And I'm thinking she's either going to withdraw into herself or potentially even go after Lauren because she's a, she's a, you know, human. And Jay, who is the same Jay, I believe on Twitter. Yes. She mentioned the fact that, you know, there is no Morgan right now. What if Tamsin's reaction to what happened between her and Bo might lead her to a dark place where she would pursue that type of position of power in order to align herself against Bo, for lack of a better word. Align isn't the right word, but, you know, set herself as as, as an enemy to Bo, for example. Hmm. Well, Interesting. Yeah. Although I don't think that Tamsin has the political savvy to pull that off, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but, I did, but it did make me have this, oh, no, I hope not type of reaction, so. But I think Tamsin would know if she did go after someone that Bo really cared about that that would just further ruin things between her and Bo, so I don't know. But then again, I don't know if Tamsin would be thinking rationally. But then, you know, they could jump the shark a bit in the next episode, and Bo could want to talk to Tamsin. Hey, can we talk more about what happened? And Tamsin could, Tamsin could just say, oh, forget about it. Let's just not mention it. I don't know. Did you just say jump the shark, Annie? Oh, did I say jump the shark? I meant... I don't know. I'm... Yeah, I that's what I meant. Isn't it jump the shark? Shark the jump? <laughs> You know no, I just I mean. don't. I don't see how it would be jumping the shark, because because jumping the shark is a term used to describe like a moment in a series where it just gets so absurd and ridiculous, and not what the show is supposed to be. Okay, that I it ruins it the whole thing. I'm just saying that conversation would be skipped in between episodes. Somewhat addicted says, "I feel Bo's lack of relationship experience in family and love has been evident. Not malicious, but tends to avoid and be selfish at times." I that's, think that's fair. That's true. You know, like what I mentioned earlier, it's like Bo doesn't have a lot of experience with relationships and with family. Right. She unintentionally hurts people because of that lack of emotional experience. Not that it's an excuse, but she has right. to, she has I to mean, learn I, from that's this. The thing. I'm, I'm trying to say, like, it's not okay, but I understand where it's coming from. Yeah. I guess is, or where it could be coming from. I think that's fair. I did want to read an email that we got from Fiona. I had really strong feelings about Tamsin tonight after watching Here Comes the Night. I'm so glad that they had the talk that they had at the end. I hurt for Tamsin, and I have empathy for Bo. I wonder what is going to come next for Tamsin. 
I am just so truly sad for her right now, always searching and never finding her love. I can relate to some of her situation. She's a fantastic character, and I hope that something profound will come of her last life. But I am worried for Tamsin because it's making me think back to the first episode of this season where, you know, Tamsin is possessed in hell and she goes after Bo and Kenzie and Bo says to her, you have two strikes. If you come after me or people that I love again, that's it. Incidentally, Angela just mentioned that on Twitter. She says, Tamsin doesn't always have control of herself and Bo said one more chance. I wonder if this will come to pass. Yeah. So that makes me worried for Tamsin. Like, is she going to do something? Is she going she legitimately has reason to be upset. I completely understand that reaction. But is she going to do something that will lead to her ultimately being harmed by Bo in some way? And that just makes me worried. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. of course, Tamsin is in that difficult position since we know the Valkyries are after Bo and her people. So I'm just I'm really hoping maybe Kenzie will come back. I'm hoping the fact that Lauren extended an olive branch in big in Japan and was somewhat welcoming to her. I'm hoping that that will mean something to Tamsin, that her love for her found family will keep her from doing anything too rash. But I do have, I do have worries. I don't know. I think she's more on the rash side right now. Kind of worried about everybody. Finally, I guess let's talk about Dyson and Alicia, where we see, we see Dyson go over to, Alicia's home, and Hera is there as Kevin Brown. I liked that he identified himself as Hera when mm-hmm. when when Dyson called him Zeus, and then spat gadflies at him, which I looked up, and that is from the myth of, of Zeus and Io. Io, who is one of Zeus's many conquests, Zeus turns her into a a, a cow to hide her from Hera's jealous rage. But Hera knows what's up, and so she asks for Zeus to give her the cow. And so he does, because he has to. And she puts him, puts Io, like, under watch by Argos, who has many, many eyes. She sends, like, gadflies after Io to sting her and drive her mad. So the whole gadflies from the mouth thing, while that is not a, necessarily a power that Hera has, has in mythology, it is it does come from a myth. I assumed it did. Well, I was thinking, is it one of the, uh, one of the biblical plagues? Yeah. I totally had flashbacks to the Mummy movies when the gadflies came out with the special effects and the big mouth. Oh, yeah. That just cracked me up. I guess I don't have a ton to say about this whole little Dyson and Alicia storyline. You know, we, we got to see that Alicia realized that the person that she saw wasn't really her husband, but Dyson has a clue her into the whole ancient plots, and now she's staying with him. And and again, I, I feel like it's indicating that there's there's maybe romance to come between Dyson and Alicia. And I'm happy about that prospect. I think it could be a good storyline. Especially since they took the initiative in making us like Alicia, since she figured yeah. out that he wasn't her husband and, and uh, defended herself when Dyson was busy with gadflies. And Well, it made her come off as a more sympathetic character from the beginning instead of annoying like Mark. And <laughs> as you said, um, Stephanie, it's good that Dyson has a storyline that's not around Bo. And it would be really interesting, I think, to see Dyson fall for a human. Yeah. But you were asking last week, Annie, what was going to be Alicia's role in the storyline, which she come to know about what was going on with the ancients. And while we see in this episode, she realizes that the person she thought was her husband isn't, Dyson has yet to clue her in on the whole situation. And do we think he will eventually? I think there's still a question up in the air as what will be her role in the storyline? Well, yeah, but she obviously knows that supernatural forces beyond human 
apprehension. Yeah, imagination. Yeah. Yeah, are at work now. So she's got some clue, just not the whole clue. I mean, she saw gadflies fly out of her dead husband's mouth, who isn't really her dead husband. Something's going on, she knows. (laughs) I think we just have to wait for it to develop more. Yeah. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. For sure. Oh, did did you want to talk about your your ranking system? Ranking system. So so Mark in this episode <laughs> we have to rank him on my annoyance scale because I came up with an annoyance scale. So from from least annoying to most annoying we have pokeable. We're back to pokeable, Kate. Pokeable. Poke 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 poke. Pokeable and then pinchable, then shovable, then smackable, then kickable then punchable, then junk punchable, then claw my own face off. <laughs> Not supremely punchable? <laughs> I wanted that one. You know, most of those sounded really dirty, and I am <laughs> glad for it. So so how would you rank Mark on the scale of annoyance for this episode? Which scene are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's the thing. That's the thing. He was in the middle. Although I guess that wasn't really Mark, it was fake Mark. So. Yeah, the real Mark. How would you rank the real Mark on the scale uh, of annoyance? In the middle to high middle, whichever one that is. So shovable slash smackable? Yeah, sure. Okay. I, I'd agree. Okay. I found I him less care. annoying than last week, but he still had a moment where I wanted to smack him a little bit. Where? When he was uh, talking about, like, Something like, well, Kate Upton has been crawling up on me or something like that. I don't know. But that in that moment in particular, he, I just really wanted to smack him. Cindy has tweeted us, la 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 la, sigh, claw my own face off in all caps. <laughs> <sighs> I think Cindy has intense feelings about Mark. I think so, too. I'm getting I don't that. think they're positive. I, th- I get that feeling, too. Yeah. I'm a keen observer, you can tell. <laughs> Wait a minute, should we take a drink? Because it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> For once, I'm not saying it. <laughs> Anything else we want to talk about? Any stray thoughts before we wrap up? I did have a stray thought. Is uh, it about Docubus? Or Docubus sex that's not blue and longer, please. No, this is um just a random tweet from the official Lost Girl Twitter account. Twitter account? Twitter account. Uh, to those wondering about dates for 501 internationally and 509 in Canada, no news yet. We don't set schedules. Networks do. Sorry. Kind of as expected, but still. I saw that, and that is frustrating. Yeah. It is extremely frustrating. Because, like, let us dude, prepare is for up, a sci-fi? long, 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 long hiatus. I do wonder, because we had talked about last week the possibility that they were saving like the the real sex scene, the big sex scene for when Bo finally makes a decision. And I won't say that we saw that in this episode, but we did get an actual sex scene in this episode. But it was, I think, for reasonable reasons, rather abbreviated. And I'm wondering if we will get more of a, you know, lost girl full on sex scene at some point this season or if or if that's it. I it really does seem weird so. that there hasn't been one. Yeah. Because it's With not succubus, I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel quite right until there's been a big sex scene, which makes me sound perhaps a little dirty. But we are talking <laughs> about Lost Girl. a little. <laughs> perhaps a little dirty. Perhaps a little dirty. But it's Lost Girl, exactly. It's part of the it's part of the show, right? It's, it's, it's part of the culture of the show. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It still feels like we're we're hanging on for that that big sex scene. <laughs> as long as it's a document sex scene. <laughs> 
God. <laughs> no blue, no green, no brown, just clear. Golden, sexy lighting. Golden, sexy, clear. bright lighting. Well, not bright, but... Clear sexy. lighting. <laughs> clear like arrows? Sure. <laughs> Invisible document sex, exactly what you've always wanted. <laughs> That sounds really sexy. <laughs> and Annie's like, I just assume that's what's going on whenever Bo and Lauren aren't on screen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're actually on scene. They're in screen. They're invisible having sex in the corner of the room. That's what's happening. <laughs> that's what Annie sees. I don't know what the rest of you see. That's exactly what I see. Thank you again to Elizabeth and Melina who sent in voice messages. We love to include other listeners, other viewers' thoughts about the episodes. You can send us those ideas in a variety of ways. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 91. You can send an email to feedback at drinksthedoll.com, or you can call us at 972-514-7223, or using a computer or mobile device, you can click on the Send Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of our website. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. See, this is why I need to see your faces and not do audio only. I want to look into your eyes. That's creepy, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I don't want to listen to you. I just want to look at you. That's weird and creepy. Okay. Boo Fool Shoe says, great. Hi, all. Like last year, y'all are the highlight of the season. Aw, thank you. I, I mean, I, I guess. Weird yeah, that, I guess. I feel weird about that, but but thank you. That's very sweet. But like of in you. a good way. <laughs> I feel weird, but I'll take it. You know. It's because I'm making her feel weird. Look into my eyes. I'm gonna turn my camera back on. <laughs>